And so as we continue with this, uh, with this study in evangelism this morning, um, just by way of a brief review, last week we uh, kind of looked at a broad picture of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. What we saw during that study was the promise of the gospel in Genesis and the fulfillment of that gospel plan in Revelation. And then specifically how we, as the body of Christ, are part of the fulfillment of that plan, first by being recipients of the gospel ourselves and then by being proclaimers of that gospel as we have been given the task to make and train disciples of Jesus. Now, to pick up on that lesson from last week, we're going to look at a six-point outline of the gospel that Matthias Media has put together in their booklet, Two Ways to Live. And the purpose of going through this is I've, I've found with all the different resources that I've looked at through the years regarding the gospel, this one is probably the broadest and the most succinct as far as giving us the ability to have points in our mind when we're engaging with people in discussion. You're going to find that as you evangelize, People are all over the place with what they believe and where they're at in their understanding of the Bible. And so you want to have categories in your mind and scriptures with those categories that the Holy Spirit can utilize as you bring the gospel to people. So this has been one of my, uh, my go-to um, training manuals, if you will, in understanding the gospel and having this in my own heart um, as I seek to share the gospel more faithfully with, with other people. So you have the booklet there, but I have everything that's in the booklet with a little bit more here on PowerPoint. So um, you won't necessarily need to refer to the booklet um, too much, but that is for you to take and to further look at as you get home. I think it would be really profitable to uh, understand the scriptures um, that go along with it as well. Okay, So let's jump in here to the two ways to live. This will be on the, uh, the first page in your booklet, but again, thinking from a big perspective, we want to think through, as we did last week, and we dive a little bit deeper this week, what is the gospel plan? And where we start is at creation. God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world. He made us rulers of the world under him. Okay, when we look back at Genesis, in particular Genesis 1-2, uh, we see that, and in chapter 3 we see the fall that takes place there. But a passage that brings this to light is Revelation 4-11 down there on the bottom. If somebody can read that for us. So what we see in this passage is that God is worthy of praise simply for creating all things. Okay? He's worthy of that honor and that praise as creator. Okay? Now let's look at a couple other things here that we see. In Colossians 1, we get a little better insight into creation. For by him, and if you understand the context there in, in Colossians, you know that's referring to Jesus. Okay? For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created, now notice this, this is really important, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things 
hold together. So Jesus is the creator. He's also, as we see in the last part of verse 17, he's the sustainer of all things. All things hold together because of Jesus. But very important in that is all things were created through him and for him. Okay? So nothing that has been created is purposeless. It all has a purpose. It's for Jesus in some way. As we think about image, us as image bearers, we can get a better insight into that. I want to focus on this point here that he made us rulers of the world under him. Okay, look at Genesis 1.26, if somebody can read that for us. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, very good. So, let them have dominion over everything. That's what it says there, right? So, he made us rulers of the world under him. As image bearers, we are unique in God's creation. We are the ones who are to rule over all things. Going on there in verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and, multi- and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What's the purpose there? The purpose is there is more image bearers spread across the earth, governing the world as God would have it, right? Reflecting God, bringing God glory by the way that mankind oversees the earth, okay? Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we were made as rulers under him. You can see on the right here, God is the ruler. That's the crown above man, And humanity is created to live in and rule God's world under God's loving authority. Okay, so that's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And you notice the question there in your booklet, and down at the bottom right here, if you can't see that, but is that the way it is now? Is that the way it is now? Well, it doesn't take long for us to realize we get to Genesis 3, as we talked about last week, and we already see there's an issue with this, right? The problem is we all reject the ruler, God, by trying to run our life our own way without him. But we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. We can't even govern ourselves, okay, apart from God. We don't know what that looks like. This is most succinctly wrapped up, and this is definitely a passage that you want to put into your evangelistic toolbox and have this one memorized, Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, if somebody can read that for us. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All are turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Okay. Genesis 11, 1 through 4, this hits on the aspect of man seeking to run his life his own way. We read this passage last week, Genesis 11, 1 through 4, focusing specifically on verse 4 here. The Tower of Babel, if somebody can read this for us. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and Sebastian. And they said to one another, come. 
Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, and, let it, and, and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, that's the core problem with man, right? This is about me. This is about making a name for myself, right? That's the issue of idolatry. It seeks to promote self. It seeks to exalt self in some way, okay? Now, this is where it gets very practical when you're talking to somebody about the gospel. You can help them to see their own personal rebellion before God, okay? And that is when we look at his commands, because his commands were given to bring knowledge of sin. After Paul goes through that kind of laundry list of here's what mankind is in Romans 3 verses 10 through 18. He says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Well, who's under the law? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why is that? Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Right? So the law brings about the knowledge of sin. This is something that we frequently do when we're out talking to people. Uh, a good question to ask, any of you who are familiar with kind of the living waters uh, material on evangelism, um, do you consider yourself to be a good person? Okay. Almost unequivocally, people will say, yeah, I consider myself to be a good person. Um, are you familiar with the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I'm familiar. Almost everybody's at least heard of them. Can we take a few minutes to walk through those? Yeah, sure. Right? You can just strike up a conversation with somebody, or it could be somebody that you know. Help them to see the standard that God has. The law brings about the knowledge of sin. The law helps them to see wow, I thought I was a good person, but typically when we think that, how are we judging ourselves when we think that we're good people? What do we normally do? By each other. By each other. We look horizontally, right? We just like, well, yeah, not my neighbor, you should see my neighbor, he's really off the wall, right? Me, I'm pretty good, I mean, I go, I'm eight to five, Monday through Friday, come in, I provide for my family, right? Right, so we always look out across the horizon of humanity to make ourselves feel better, Okay. But we need to bring people face-to-face -face with the reality of not man's standard, but God's standard. Help them to see what that is. Here is the law. Watch this. Paul says in Romans 7, 7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Is there anything wrong with the law? Absolutely not. By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin would have not have known what sin was apart from the law of God. Look at this next one here in Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor. And notice what its purpose is. To what? To lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. That's the function of the law of God. It helps you to see this is the standard that God has set forth. Okay, I love what Charles Spurgeon said here. The law is the needle 
And you cannot draw the silken thread of the gospel through a man's heart unless you first send the needle of the law to make way for it. Such a great statement, isn't it? That's the function of the law. The law exposes that sin. It shows us what what God demands, right? Because we have this mindset that God is probably just going to judge me on the basis of, you know, if my good outweighed my bad in some way. Even if people don't use that language, if you talk to them, you'll see that that's really what they're they're trusting in. But what does the Bible tell us? What the Bible tells us? The soul that sins shall die, right? So if we've broken the law, we deserve death. Walking people through some or all of the Ten Commandments is a very effective way to help them see both the holiness of God and their sinfulness before Him. Okay? So right now, with my daughter, we're going through the first five commandments. And my purpose in that is that the law of God would be ingrained so that she'll see, I can't do this. It's going to bring about a knowledge of sin. I pray. And that points her to Jesus the one who has fulfilled that law. So does God require perfection or just our best effort? That's a good question that you can ask people, okay? So help them to see the law, walk them through the law, and then ask them, do you think that God requires perfection or just that we would give it our best effort, that we're as sincere as we can possibly be? It's a good question. Again, very effective in evangelism. You want to ask a lot of questions, okay? Don't do all the talking, Right? Ask people a lot of questions. Let them reveal out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. By asking questions, you're going to see what it is that they're trusting in to be made right with God. Okay? So does God require perfection or just our best effort? Well, let's take a look. Here's a really helpful passage on that. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone, notice this, who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So God demands perfection. Cursed is the one who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, right? Another passage that you can think of is James 2 verse 10. I don't have it on here, but James 2.10. If we've broken the law in one point, we've broken the whole thing. It functions like a chain. You take one link out, the whole thing is no good, right? Such is the law of God. You break it in one part, you've broken the whole thing because it stands as a whole. It's a reflection of who God is, right? The law is simply a reflection of the lawgiver. And what the lawgiver demands is perfection. Okay, so you can help people to see that. I like to just spend time thinking about that curse be everyone, right? Because people automatically, we we think that we're in some way blessed, right? And there are many temporal blessings that unbelievers have that you had before you became a Christian that I had. The sun rises and it sets. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. So there are those common grace benefits, but it doesn't change the reality that that person is, is under the curse, okay? Under the curse of God. However we might sin, the Bible is clear that we are all rebels. We don't naturally live God's way. We prefer to follow our own desires and to run things our own way without God. 
This rebellious, self-sufficient attitude is what the Bible calls sin. Okay? So you go from creation, and then you help the person see, is that the way it is now? Let's take a look at it. Why is the world in the shape that it's in this day? Why all chaos and wars and fear? Why are all these things taking place? This is the answer to it. But you got to take that from that broad scope of, yeah, I was watching Fox News last night, and those people are really wicked over there. No, you're really wicked right here, <laughs> your own heart, right? you got to help people to see that, and the law of God functions to that end. Now, you notice, uh, let me go back a slide, actually. Um, what will God do about this rebellion? Okay, so that's the next question that is asked here. What's God going to do about this? It's often a question that people ask. Why, why doesn't God do something about all this evil? Right? Why doesn't he do something about all this evil? Well, let's, let's define what evil is. That's a good way that you can respond. Let's define what evil is. Okay? What is evil? Let's just throw that out. Let's see how we would answer that. What's evil? Okay, good. Rebellion against God. In Mark chapter 7... Jesus talked about all these evil things not coming from outside, but coming from where? Within, from the heart of man. And then he lists out what those things are that are called evil. Listen, it won't take long for you to go through that list to realize that you're... Yes, you're evil, that you've broken these things, right? And you help people to see that. So you say, God has actually promised a day that he's going to judge the world in righteousness when justice is going to be settled once and for all. But you have to understand that that evil he's going to deal with isn't just these people over here who are bombing airports and going in and shooting up clubs. He's going to judge every last act of evil. Every lie you've ever told, every lustful thought you've ever had will be judged by God. Right? Get personal. Help that person to see that this isn't just something that's out there away from them. It's within. And that's where it comes from. You can help them to understand that. What's God going to do about this rebellion? Is he going to let this go on? Well, what the scriptures tell us is that God won't let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Okay? I don't have this one on here, but Romans 6.23, a passage that many of you are familiar with. The wages of sin is death, right? Death is a result of sin. The reason that we die is because we're sinful. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, okay? So death, judgment. right? That person's standing before God. Is God going to allow that to go on? No, the Bible clearly tells us that the day of judgment is upon us, okay? Because God is just, he must punish every last sin that has ever been committed. This is a passage that I like to turn to in Revelation 14 because it talks about the eternality of the judgment. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. That is a frightening passage. Oh, how that should break our hearts for those that don't know the Lord. 
This is what, and this is what awaited us, but God had mercy and he intervened. And now we have the opportunity to bring this gospel. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. There's a, there's a, a good transition that you can use with this, with this verse when you get to the gospel in Matthew 11. I just thought of this one. I don't have it written down, but in Matthew 11, if you want to jot this down, Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? They have no rest, and that's the condition that all of humanity is in, in this, at this point. They're doing all they can. They're running from one place to another, doing all these different things. You come to Jesus, and you find the rest that God has intended. Okay, so this, this reality of judgment, it's a terrible thing to fall under the sentence of God's judgment. It's a prospect we all face since we are all guilty of rebelling against God. To face God in judgment on our own means that we will only know His just wrath forever in hell. Now, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I like to just sit there for a moment on that point, truthfully to help them to see. And I ask them that question now, is what I've just shared with you, is that good news or bad news? Yeah, and almost everybody I've talked to said, that, that's bad news. That's not a good prospect that we all face. Then you're ready to transition to the good news. Now that they're acquainted with and they understand, wow, this is who I am before a holy God. And we understand the Spirit of God has to take that and make it effective. Every one of us that has been evangelizing for any time, you've come to that place where you share that with somebody and they're like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, please, Lord, open their eyes, right? I mean, you couldn't have laid it out more clearly, but the Spirit of God has to take that and make that real to that person and help them to see the plight that they're, that they're in, okay? So when you look through that booklet, those first three points are really just setting the stage, helping us to see why God created the world, what the bad news is because of our sin. But now, once you've gone there, now you're ready to transition. And you can help them to see, is that good news or bad news that I've just shared with you? That's bad news. Well, listen to this news that I have now. This is the best news you will ever hear in your entire life. And here it is. God has sent me as a messenger, as an ambassador of his today, to bring this gospel to you, to bring this good news to you. Think of the blessing it is that you get to hear this good news that God has brought. Share that with people. Help them to see that, that this is what God has done. Because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Very important. I've hit on this in the past, but I just want to reiterate it again. Make sure you help them to see that there is a man who lived perfectly under God's rule. It's not just enough for us to talk about the death of Christ. Help people to see the life of Christ. Okay? He had to live perfectly if his death was to mean anything. So you want to help people to see that. Yet by dying in our place, he took our punishment and brought forgiveness. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. And here's where you can get into talking about substitution with people. Isn't this an amazing reality, right? 
that God has provided a substitute to both live for you and die for you. The righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, us. That he might bring us to God. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the good news. Is that we get to be with God forever in his kingdom and enjoy him for all of eternity. Here are some passages that aren't in your book but are good ones. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is a great passage that you can walk people through. Look at this love. Jesus didn't have to come down. He wasn't constrained. God could have just judged the whole world and been perfectly just and condemning all of humanity. God wasn't constrained, right? But in his love, he sent his son and the son came willingly to do that. Okay? Jesus always lived under God's rule. Okay, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. All that was spoken of about Jesus. Matthew 17, 5. The Father says about the Son, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, that may not seem like good news initially. Right? It's like, well, he's well pleased with him, but he's not well pleased with me. <laughs> right? Because I've just seen that. He's not well pleased with me because of my rebellion against God. But you can see how this is applied. John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And then notice this. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You can connect this back with Galatians 3, where it talked about cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Jesus here says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. There is a man that came and fulfilled the law of God perfectly. And we needed that. Okay? Yet by dying in our place, he took our punishment and brought forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, part of the passage that I'll be preaching on this morning. For our sake. Okay, there's the love of God. For our sake. God made Jesus to be sin, to be a sin offering, who knew no sin. He was sinless. So that, there's purpose in this, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's where you can help somebody to see that perfect life that Jesus lived is credited to my account. Help them to see that. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing. God looks at my record and he sees perfection because it's his son's record that is on my account so that we might become the righteousness of God. We might be in right standing with God. That's what Jesus has accomplished. Well, what about all the sin? Well, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus takes my record at, on himself at the cross, as Colossians 2 says, that it was nailed to the cross, the record of debt that stood against me with its legal demands. Jesus takes it. 
and that record of debt is canceled. And God says, I am fully satisfied because my son has taken the full weight of wrath. There is not an ounce of wrath left for the people of God. All of my sins are washed away. Help somebody to see that. Every single sin you've committed, every thought, word, deed that has been done can be washed away through repentant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because this is what God has accomplished. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, that news, if you're not excited about sharing that, check your conversion. <laughs> See if you really understand what the gospel is. <laughs> See if you really understand what the gospel is. I mean, that, that's amazing to us. Okay? The Bible rings with the incredible news that Jesus lived and died as a substitute for rebels like us. The debt that we owed God, Jesus paid by living and dying in our place. He took the full force of God's justice on himself so that forgiveness and pardon would be secured for his people. All of this is quite undeserved by us. It's a generous gift from start to finish. Okay? That's, the, that's the great news of the gospel. Okay, The fifth point that is there on your outline, God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler of the world. We've been kind of looking through that a little bit in our study through Ephesians. Jesus has conquered death, now gives new life, and will return to judge. Can somebody read that passage from Acts 17, 30 and 31? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sorry, that one there. I'm sorry. Am I in the hole? No, yeah. I, I, threw, I threw in extra scriptures. Yeah. I, added to the, uh, I added to the outline. You guys can read that one on your own personal. There you go. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, good. So now you've gone through the bad news, you've gone through the unspeakably good news, and now you want to get very personal with that, that person that you're speaking with. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to respond to what you've just heard? Because here's the reality. God's commanding all people everywhere to repent. Right? And, and the reason for this is because he's fixed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. All this evil that we've talked about, both that we see outside and within ourselves, all of that will be brought to justice on the day that God has appointed. And what does God demand? That you turn away from whatever it is that you're trusting in to be made right with him, and that you turn to Jesus Christ alone and you trust in his work. Jesus is the one who's going to judge the world in righteousness. And God has given evidence of this by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is phenomenal news for those who repent and believe the gospel. It's horrible news for those who don't. Because Jesus will stand as the justifier of those who have faith in him, and he will stand as the judge of those who do not. You want people to, to understand that. Press that home. I'm going to hit on this in my, in my sermon this morning, but listen... Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 
based on the reality of what God has done in Christ and of the coming judgment, Paul says, we implore you, we beg you to be reconciled with God. Do we plead with people, right? Do we really plead with people? You're not promised another day. You're not promised another moment. Jesus is coming back to judge the world in righteousness, but as we've looked, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. If you die before he returns, you will be judged one way or the other. And helping them to understand that, I'm pleading with you, turn away from whatever it is that you're trusting in and turn to Jesus Christ. So we, we want people to feel the weight and the, the immediacy, the urgency of this reality, right? We, we, don't wanna, we, don't, we don't want people to just think that, hey, I can put this off. This is something that I should think about in the future. I have things that I want to do in my life or whatever the case may be. You want to impress upon them the urgency of this. God's appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. We know not the hour that the Son of Man will return. And you know not the hour that you're going to leave this earth. There's nothing more important than this. This is great news if you believe it, but it's horrible news if you don't. Jesus has conquered death, now gives new life, and will return to judge. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 and 17, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So the reverse of that is opposite. Because Jesus has been raised... Your faith isn't futile, and you are no longer in your sins, right? Because Jesus has been raised if you trust in him, okay? And now the last point that we get to here is where you really want to press that home. Here are the two ways to live, okay, what we've just walked through. We can continue in our own way, okay? We can reject the ruler, God. We can try to run life our own way, and the result is that we will be condemned by God, or that we are condemned by God, as the scripture says, facing death and judgment, okay? That's the bad news. The good news is, if you repent and believe the gospel, submit to Jesus as our ruler, rely on Jesus' death and resurrection, the result, forgiven by God and given eternal life. And then I'd like to close with that passage right there at the bottom, which they have in the booklet, John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, notice how belief and obey are synonymous. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That presupposes that it's there already. It remains on him. So just impressing people with that reality. The wrath of God, as we've talked about, remains on you this moment. But God has brought me to you today to bring you this wonderful good news that you can turn away from whatever it is that you're trusting in and turn and trust in Jesus and be found right with God. This is the good news of the gospel. And you know what you have to do? You know what works you have to do? As Jesus said, what is the work of God? Believe. Believe. Right? You turn away. I'm not trusting in that anymore. I'm believing all that Jesus has done. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection. That's where my whole hope is placed. Okay? So you can see how 
an understanding of this. So my encouragement to you is take some time, think through this, think of the passages that go along with it as well when you're engaged in conversation with people because you may, you, you'll run across people who are at all kinds of different places. Some of them are things, absolutely, I know my sin, man, it's ever before me. I just can't see how God can forgive me for it. Right? So I'm probably not going to spend as much time talking about the bad news with a person like that, although I'm not going to assume it. But I want to bring it to the good news. Then you may have people who would be like, especially in, in our area, as it's becoming more and more international, who have, I, I don't, I've never really heard about Jesus and, and what he's done. If you've got people coming from distant lands. And then you'll talk to people who may have heard about Jesus their whole lives, but they truly don't understand what he has Accomplished. So for me, these are good categories to have in your mind, to have solidified in your, your heart, and the scriptures being memorized so that you're ready to engage people. Um, there's other scriptures I'm sure that you guys kind of have thought through as well and that you use when you're, when you're talking to people. But the point of this is that you have a good understanding of the gospel so that when that opportunity arises, you can be ready to share it, you can be ready to bear witness and tell people about what God has done in Christ for rebellious mankind. Now, a uh, couple things we talked about that. Repent, turn from trusting in your own way to be made right with God. Believe, trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone to be made right with God. Okay? So the turning away from one, turning to the other. And then a couple points that I like to bring out here, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me, the exclusivity of Christ, right? There isn't another way. There isn't going to be a person who comes behind me to share another message with you that becomes another option for you to be made right with God, right? Jesus is the only way to be made right with the Father. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. Just think of the exclusivity of that statement. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen? Okay. Uh, we finished up a few minutes early, which is good because I have a couple things that I have to do before the, before the service. Thoughts, comments, uh, questions? Well, you can get a pack of those. If you go onto the website... In the, in the back. I do have a few extra ones, so if, if, if people... Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. If, if you want an extra one of those, I think I do have a few, a few extra. I can certainly give that to you, and it is good, as Pete was saying, to sit down with somebody and just be like, hey, I want to you know, share this with you. Give them a booklet. You have a booklet. It keeps you, and that's a good point that Pete brings up there. It keeps you focused on, on what it is that you're talking about. Also, on your smartphone, they have the Two Ways to Live app, which I think is 99 cents or something like that. It's, it's free for what? It's free for the iPhone. So if you're not an iPhone user, repent. and. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can get it on your phone. I've used the app on my phone. We're out at uh, uh, Matthias Media. Yeah, just type in, if you go into the App Store, type in Two Ways to Live. It should, uh, it should come up there. So uh, you can have it, have it there as well. Uh, it's a really, really helpful resource you know, for you guys to, uh, to use. Okay? All right, other, other thoughts, questions? Dean. Uh, yeah, uh, the verse that you were talking about where uh, uh, the law 
law exposes sin. Mm -hmm. uh, the law, uh, if I, the way I interpret it was, they, um, the people wanted the law, and they said you, they wanted to live on their own, in their own way, yes. but that is an example of their, the sin that they wanted to live in their own way because they thought, they wanted the law because they thought they could live by it. That's correct. So before the law was given, says the law was written in our hearts. That's correct. Anyways. That's so right. I think God uh, it's God's reaction to what the people wanted by giving the law. Yes. Where it was already written in their hearts. That's right. Yeah. The law Romans two, the the law is written on the heart of, of every man. Um, and that's the confidence that you have when you speak with people is that you have an ally already in their heart. It's, it's written on their heart. They know the difference. Now, as Romans 1 says, we try to suppress that truth in unrighteousness and do all we can to keep that buried because we don't want to be accountable to God. But, yeah, absolutely. Good, good point. Anyone? Yeah, Mike, I've got an Android and it's free too. All right. <laughs> I recant. <laughs> I recant. <laughs> Yes. That's right. Yeah, and I, I think the answer to that is you hold in one hand the sovereignty of God and you hold in the other hand the responsibility of man um, and the witness of man in uh, Scripture. So when you see Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, and he says, on behalf of Christ, so he's speaking as if Jesus was here, here's what Jesus would be doing. He'd be pleading with you to repent and believe the gospel. Um, so I hold those two things together, that God is totally sovereign and it's a work of grace and it's a work that the Spirit has to accomplish, but God has given me a responsibility to proclaim it and to proclaim it passionately. Um, I'm not going to try to twist anybody's arm in, into believing, but the way that we share the gospel is used by God, apparently, to bring the truth of the gospel home to that to that person's heart. Now, I'm not saying that's true in, in every single case because obviously somebody can get a track and just read it and there's not any, you know, buddy there passionately proclaiming that to them. Um, but I understand your point and I, I, I just hold those two things together and I say, I don't know how exactly these, these fit together perfectly. I know that God is sovereign and he calls whom he will before the foundation of the world. He's elected those but he's given me a responsibility to go into the world and preach it passionately to everybody that I can. Um, and both of those things are true. So that, that's how in my own mind I kind of settle that issue rather than trying to figure out how does that work together uh, because it can keep you up at night. <laughs> I think through that. Yeah, so. Forrest. I don't want to be negative, but I think 
with so many Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. there needs to be an explanation. Yeah. The first yeah. page where it says, God's the loving ruler of the world, he made the world, he made the world, he made us rulers of the world. The right. Mormons could say, yes, God is God, and we're going to be God's just like him. Right. So you would have to be very careful. Sure. Secondarily, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, there is, I didn't find anywhere in here that it truly explains that Jesus is God. Right. So I think yep. it would be very important for clarification yeah. Yeah. in working with someone from a cult. Yeah. That yeah. You know, that would have to be explained. Right. In it because it's not included. Yes. Yeah, no, good point. So um, session two or three, I think I kind of dealt with that. So right. you could go back I into that and, that, I mean, yeah. Oh, as far as having it in your hand, yeah. Right. And that's where you would have to add to the material depending on your audience and who it is that you're talking about. But yeah, yeah, good, good point. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys for your attentiveness. Hopefully that's helpful for you. And... Um, We'll just pray that the Lord will use this and help us to be effective in reaching those who are around us. So let's, uh, let's pray. It, it, it's a joy, Father, just to go back through the gospel on our own and to think about who we were apart from you and what you have done in Christ to settle that issue and to bring us to yourself through him. We pray that you would grip our hearts afresh every single day with the reality of what you have done for us in Jesus. And that that joy would arise in obedience to you and proclaiming the gospel to all who are around us. Father, that we would hold in one hand the reality that the joy that is to come for the believer is unspeakable, but the wrath that is to come for the unbeliever is equally unspeakable. And that you would burden our hearts, Lord. Give us a sense of urgency to preach the gospel to all who are around us, Father. Help us, we pray, to deny ourselves. Let us not be thoughtful of our own reputation, man's view of us, whatever the case may be. Lord, we read all throughout your word when people go and preach the gospel they go into opposition against the unbelievers. And Father, we don't want to be in opposition for any other reason than for proclaiming the gospel lovingly to those that are around us. We know that they're going to be opposed to it unless you open their hearts to understand it. And that is our prayer, is that you would work to that end for your glory. Do a great work through us, Father, for the sake of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. And help us now, Father, as we go into the service, and I'm essentially going to just preach out of the overflow of all that I've just said, and I pray that you would fill me afresh with your spirit to preach passionately on our ministry that we have been given, the ministry of reconciliation. And so please help us, Lord, that your name would be honored, that we would be empowered disciples who seek to go out and make other disciples, first by proclaiming the gospel to them. So we pray that you would help us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.